Making after school cool. Welcome to the Making After School Cool podcast, the link between research, practice, and theory for those interested in the activities youth are involved with during non school hours. The Making After School Cool podcast is produced by Case for Kids, a division of Harris County Department of Education. And I'm your host, Mike Wilson. Today's episode of the Making After School Cool podcast is part one of a two part series which focuses on aspects of our mental health that centers on our ability to respond positively to stressful situations. This ability is often referred to as resiliency. According to Leslie Rapoli, a professor of psychology at Northwood University and an authority on the psychology of mindfulness, our mental health involves more than the absence or presence of disorders. There are numerous factors when it comes to promoting positive mental health. One of these characteristics is resiliency. Research has shown that resiliency is pretty common and most people tend to demonstrate resiliency regularly. However, downplaying it doesn't necessarily mean that you have not suffered some difficulty or hardship. It also doesn't mean that you have not experienced emotional pain or sadness. To discuss resiliency is my guest, Brian Clement of Dovetail Learning. Brian is a former teacher, principal, and is currently the lead trainer and director of program and partnerships at Dovetail Learning, Inc. Additionally, Brian works with the Equity and Education Initiative and is on the Gravenstein Health Action Coalition Board. He is also co-facilitating a think tank for the National Training and Technical Assistance Center for Child, Youth, and Family Mental Health. Good day, Brian. How are you doing today? I'm great. Fantastic. Happy to be here and uh, able to share with you. Well, thank you for taking some time. I know you probably have a busy schedule, and we really do appreciate you taking some time for us to discuss resiliency. But before we go on, can you explain the purpose of Dovetail Learning and what type of services you guys provide? Yeah, happy to do so. And again, thanks so much for having me. Um, so Dovetail Learning is an educational nonprofit based in Sonoma County, and we provide universal mental health promotion through our program, We Are Resilient. And we have programs and partnerships, uh, both in, in healthcare, education, and family supports. So sort of a, a multi-tiered uh, uh, system and approach for ultimately serving children and um, the multiple generations of people who, who need some healing. Awesome. Now, before I go on, I understand that your, your work can be downloaded for free. Can you tell our listeners how they can access uh, these free resources? Yes. Um, so on our website, www.dovetaillearning, all one word, .org, um, we have what we call our open educational resources and just really proud. Uh, and it's an honor to work with a team where we lead with our values. And we think that access to mental health uh, services and education should be free. Um, access is the first step in equity for us. And so um, anyone who comes to us, we want to be able to say yes. And so that's why we've now listed uh, more resources probably than you have time to go through. But uh, again, on our website, there's a tab there that says open educational resources. Um, and part of that too is us with our awareness that uh, whatever context, people and conditions uh, that this work applies to, we want you to make it your own. And we just invite you to share that back. So next time someone comes from us, you know, to us with a similar problem, we can say, hey, look what Harris County's doing, or this clinic in Oakland is doing that, Oakland, California. Um, so it's part of our value set uh, to lead and, and share back what we all learned so we can do it together. 
Well, that's awesome. And I'll actually put uh, your website information on the description of this podcast. Oh, fantastic. Um, today we're talking about resiliency. So my first question is, how do you define resiliency? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Um, you know, for us, resilience is our ability to adapt, to meet challenges effectively. And we can strengthen resilience um, by noticing our patterns and practicing our own skills. Um, so we locate resilience on a continuum in that we, in fact, are we are resilient. You know, we, we think words create worlds and starting from that place, um, we can be more or less resilient and resilience can change. Um, but if we can locate ourselves on the resilience continuum, we know we can strengthen and support ourselves better um, with that acknowledgement that it, 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 it ebbs and flows. And that's part of the human condition. So uh, we can support each other and also strengthen our resilience. Now, I heard you use the word pattern. Um, and in some of your training, I heard or I witnessed you describe cultural patterns and protective patterns. Can mm -hmm. you expound on those two types of patterns? Yeah, so ultimately, um, both of those, and we make a distinction between our pattern and skills, but um, those patterns, and, and to leverage some of Dr. Dina Simmons' work, uh, she calls it vigilant self-awareness. Castle calls it self-awareness as a competency. But um, the concept of cultural patterns uh, are really about uh, understanding the space and place of our formative time. Who was with us, what time, and in, in what context did we grow up? And we talk about how those cultural patterns influence how we view the world, right? It's formative, it's the lens through which uh, we are, are, are built. And as many people are listening to this podcast, as many cultural lenses, right? Because everyone is so unique. Well, with that and in service to that, that cultural pattern and context of my growth influence my what we call reactive patterns or how I react to the world. So our protective patterns in service to our resilient nature, uh, keeping safety and all of these things actually are part of our self-awareness about how we interact both externally and internally um, for ourselves. With that awareness, now I can choose to move forward in a certain way and develop my own uh, resilient skills or, or pick strategies there. So we, we bucket patterns in self-awareness. I had a colleague one time we were talking and he was discussing perspective and he said it in a beautiful way. He said our brains are our own windows to our own world. And, yes. um, you know, yes. even though we are at a sec, uh, I think that that definitely goes with what you were just, what you were saying in regards to our cultural patterns and how we respond yeah. to different things. The lenses we wear, right? Exactly. The different spectacles of life that we put on. <laughs> uh, why do you think it's important for people who are working with youth to have strong SEL skills? Well, um, you know, we we offer up uh, a simple um, paradigm of practice model coach. And for us, the social and emotional skills um, that adults have are actually what and how the students learn. So when we talk about social emotional skills, um, we say you can't teach what you yourself don't have. And so um, one, we need it. <laughs> we need it in the work, uh, in service to others, right? There's a lot that's going on. So how do we model and support ourselves using social emotional competencies, uh, first to take care of ourselves um, through our own practices, uh, to make sure we're sort of working against the compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma that can happen within in this world of care dimension that we hear so much about um, but that's why the work is important for us 
because it actually allows us to then model uh, for the kiddos who we hope uh, to serve. Um, and sometimes, you know, you know, part of our teacher development isn't, it's not two or four, right? As a trauma-informed program, um, it's not two or four, it's with. And so that, that's where we kind of locate the beginning of, of our practice, is practice model coach. And I've heard you mention earlier that, you know, staff working with kids and we actually fund a lot of um, after school and out of school time programs and uh, also offer staff development. That's why I appreciate so much that you're taking mm -hmm. some time to speak with us on this. And so your practice model and coach approach helps uh, staff become change agents, not only for their for the youth, but also mm -hmm. the family that they work with. Can you expound a little bit on, on how that works? Yeah, so um, it, it's an all of us dimension, right? Um, though we all serve, we, we create the ecosystem that a young person exists in. And um, we found in, in our time in doing social emotional learning curriculum that uh, building a common language and through line uh, for the students experience to create that continuity both at the school and in the school environment um, that is dovetailed literally and connected into uh, what the families and the family supports that they need. Um, as a father of three, um, you know, that that bond between school and families is critical for the world that the, the child experiences. And we found that developing a common language uh, between all the care teams and those that are creating this sort of network of care for these kiddos uh, we, we, we say, you know, same chapter, same page, same book, um, to make sure that we have a coherence of, of thought and action together in a common language. Um, now I heard in a, one of the previous trainings that I attended that we all have what you called unconscious stress responses. How do our understanding of these reactions help us to manage our behavior? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Michael. Uh, and it's something that we actively work on. That's why we talk about it as practice, right? Um, and the awareness of our own physiology, our stress physiology, our autonomic nervous system, right? What's occurring inside of us uh, is an important awareness because then it gives us the opportunity to make a choice. Um, and so within that awareness, perhaps, we have the opportunity to create uh, a little more um, grace in our responses. So instead of reacting, we can be more conscious in our responses. And so uh, that thread of training that you might be referring to is about our self-awareness and our stress physiologies and trying to figure out what activates us, what doesn't, what people do. So we talk about where, when, and with whom do you notice that you, you, you get turned up, you know, and you might not be uh, as, as diplomatic as you like. <laughs> and I joke because look, as, as a father of three, as a husband, you know, easier said than done. I am sometimes aware what I'm saying is not what I wish I was and I'll have to clean that up. But um, it's also comes with this reality that, you know, we're human and and we can learn uh, when we, we don't respond as we want to. So um, that's our, that's that's why we sort of give a little education in the science dimension of what's going on internally. And I will say, um, you know, Hindsight's 2020, and I, you know, after researching researching some of your work, you know, I do realize that there are situations that I know beforehand that mm -hmm. you know I'm gonna be a little stressed, I'm gonna be a little, you know, yeah. my emotions are gonna be a little amped, and mm -hmm. uh, even knowing that, 
you know, prior to uh, looking at some of your work, I still didn't really respond in the best mm -hmm. way to these situations. And right. so I know you've talked about uh, anticipatory response, resiliency, and mm -hmm. you know, how to, if you know these situations are gonna cause a lot of stress, you can practice on how you can handle that. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I know I'm saying that in a very layman's terms, but am I pretty much on the right track? 100%, uh, right? <laughs> there's there's kind of three three parts of the curve, right? Where you pop off, you hit your peak, uh, you have your depletion cycle, and well, that didn't go how I wanted. Uh, then when you notice, you catch yourself, maybe you take a breath, you step back, and, and you don't make a situation worse. And what you're referring to um, is what we call our anticipatory resilience awareness, is that I can front load, I can move into this situation um, with, with courage and choice um, to not respond, right? To, to kind of move a, ahead of it and through it with grace. Um, you know, because I'm talking to maybe some school folks, you know, as a former principal and teacher myself, you know, when you see that email from that parent, <laughs> Right. How am I going to open this up or, or whoever kind of gets you moving the wrong way? And so we found that just that acknowledgement helps you even stave off the activation cycle or, or, or the trigger, as they call it. So uh, it's just one phase uh, of trying to be our most resilient self. And, and we found that's helpful. Just that language of anticipatory resilience. And um, you know, I've also mentioned that resilience is not fixed. And to mm -hmm. be able to, to master resiliency skills take practice. Correct. And you've uh, brought up the three R's. Can you talk about the three R's a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to give credit where credit due is due as well. So now a few years ago, uh, I had the honor of attending what's called the Happy Child Summit. And a gentleman by the name of Tal Ben-Shahar kind of put me onto this idea. And um, when we talk about practice, we, we bucket it in three R's, three R's reminders, repetition and you know quote ritual right what are the things that kick you into gear and and as as the tal ben shaharan mentioned socrates has this wonderful quote that says uh, to know good is to do good and he says well that's actually not so true the theologians actually had it more at the time in terms of change behavior management um, cognitive idea we know we're supposed to eat right we know we're supposed to do exercise but that stays in our brain it's a cognitive concept but if we want to move this idea that we like into behavior change, you know, where are the reminders? Where can I repeat that action? And where are the quote unquote rituals that we can access to, to actually move me into practice? And so a simple for instance is, you know, breathing mindfully, uh, wisdom traditions for life. We know this has its wonderful benefits, uh, but I wasn't doing it on a regular basis. And uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Christy, your co-developer of the work talks about how you have to make this practice um in your life and so um when i make coffee now and the pot's boiling that's when i actually do my my breathing and uh bj fogg's work at stanford you know has this sort of tiny habits dimension of it so we have to move it into action um, and, and that's where we start to actually receive the benefits so we can then access it when we need it uh, being a bay area guy out here in california right steph curry uh, you, you just don't tell them be a good basketball player. There's a lot of parts that you have to practice, constituent parts, uh, and then you can access them when it's called upon. And so that's that's how we talk about practice, rituals, uh, repetition, and reminders. And, you know, I think that's definitely some, some useful information because, um, you know, working with 
young people. You're also dealing with their families and you're also dealing with whatever, whatever um, baggage or things that happen throughout the mm -hmm. day or the day before mm -hmm. that they break with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after as the school year begins and goes on, and, you know, as you stated, as an educator, um, we can recognize situations and we can re even recognize when, when students are um, trying to push our buttons. And I think to, <laughs> to be prepared, mm -hmm. I remember when I taught, I, I was a former educator as well. There was one particular student, um, I think in the morning, our morning ritual was he was going to just try to check and see, you know, how far he can get away with something. And so mm -hmm. the first thing, as soon as I saw him, I knew he was going to do something that was outlandish. And, um, you know, after a while, it's like, okay, I just have to ignore it and continue to say, hey, glad to see you. Great. Welcome to the class, whatever. Uh, I can say that, you know, the practice definitely comes into play in regards to how we interact with uh, the kids, even our colleagues, our colleagues and, and the parents. So, yeah, that's that. That's an awesome. Um, it's all with us. Exactly. Well, and I, I would su submit to you, it sounds like, Michael, you were using anticipatory resilience. <laughs> I was, but I didn't even yeah. know it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and that's part of our invitation, right? It's in us. Resilience isn't a, a superpower that's from the outside. It's in us. It's an ordinary superpower that we can access. And so, um, you know, it just, it, you're already doing it, you know. Making after school cool. Brian, thank you so much for being our guest on this episode of the Making Act School Cool podcast. Hey, been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Michael, and uh, great conversation. Thanks again. As always, I want to thank our listeners for joining us for the first part of a two-part series where our topic focused on strengthening resiliency skills. Please join us for part two as we continue to explore issues relevant to the out-of-school time field.